Good morning. Welcome Highland Community Church. I'm here with one of my brother-in-laws, the Reverend Dr. Greg Loomis. He's a longtime evangelical free church pastor and an adjunct professor of Bible at Crown College. And together, we're going to look at Galatians 5, 13 to 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5, 13 to 15. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, uh, I thank you for the opportunity that is ours to open your inspired and errant word. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us through your word and that what Greg and I share would be accurate. And if it's not, give us wisdom to ignore that as we want to be changed by your truth. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ and the freedom that we have in our nation. Freedom, really, that is unparalleled to most epochs of time or areas in the world. Father, guide us, instruct us, be our teacher through your spirit today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to wish you a happy 4th of July Independence Day weekend. I also want to wish my father... Happy 85th birthday. He was born on July 4th. He's a true Yankee doodle dandy. And in great modesty, my dad tells the grandkids and great-grandkids that the fireworks on the 4th of July not only celebrate our country, but they're in celebration of his birth. As we get to July 4th, I think of perhaps the most famous distant relative in my lineage. Perhaps you know of her. Her name is Betsy Ross. Now, history isn't totally certain, but tradition tells us that Betsy Ross was the one that created the first U.S. flag. Understand that at age 21, Betsy fell in love with John Ross, and they eloped, and they got married. They had a wonderful life together, but it was very short. In fact, Betsy's first two husbands both died patriots fighting for our freedom in the Revolutionary War. Betsy was a fourth-generation North American. She loved this country. She wanted freedom to ring and reign in this country. When she was married to her second husband... Their house was conscripted by the British Army, and she was made to serve the Tories that took over her house, and even as she did so, she talked about freedom, freedom in this land, so much so that they nicknamed her the Little Rebel. She was a very well-connected gal. She was exceptionally well-educated. She had patriotism cursing through her veins, and she knew a lot of famous people. She went to Christ Church in Boston. If you've walked the Freedom Trail, you've been there because it's part of the Freedom Trail, and the pew adjacent to her pew had George Washington, the general of the Continental Army. She was also related to two of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Her first wedding was officiated by William Franklin, the son of Ben Franklin. She was a woman who loved this country. 
And as tradition goes, and really there is no alternative known in history, George Washington and two signers of the Declaration came to her house and asked her to make the first flag. Understand what this request is about. It's more than the fact that she was a skilled artist. If she makes the first flag and the British find out that she is the creator of it, then she will be put to death as a traitor. This is a very dangerous thing to do. But she doesn't hesitate. And according to her daughter, Rachel, she did in fact create that first flag. In fact, when they brought the diagram to her, she corrected it. The first flag was square, and she said, no, no, it's got to be a third longer than it is wide. And they had stars just scattered all over, and she said, no, no, the stars represent the states, and the states are equal. We're going to put them in a circle so that no star is more important, no state is more important than the other. And so tradition teaches, and if you ask my family, it's historical fact, we are related to Betsy Ross, who created Old Glory. And what does Old Glory represent? Freedom. You remember that Thomas Jefferson said that freedom is an unalienable right. And we want to guard our freedom. We want to protect our freedom. We want to love our freedom and never abuse our freedom. But today's text is about something even greater than political freedom from tyranny. It's religious freedom. It's spiritual freedom. It's freedom from the bondage of sin that leads to eternal death. Let me pick up in our text. I want to read from Galatians 5. I'll read verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom brothers. That is sisters. That is Christ followers. You were called to freedom Christ followers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The book of Galatians is one of the older books in the New Testament. Paul founded a series of churches in the Galatia region on his first missionary journey, somewhere between A.D. 48 and 49. And when he founded the church, he began to preach the gospel, salvation by faith in Christ alone, that the payment of our sin, the atonement of our sin by Jesus Christ is sufficient. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, grace is not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's a free gift for by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. So none of us can boast. I think the theme of Galatians is chapter 2, verse 16. And, and if you remember a few years ago, I took about nine months, preached through Galatians, and I said, hey, the theme of the book is Galatians 2.16. As a church, let's memorize this together. What a fail. And not because you can't memorize, but because I picked one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture to memorize. That's why I'm going to read it. Galatians 2, verse 16. Yet we know 
that a person is not justified, that is declared righteous, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified, that is declared righteous, by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul came to the Galatia region, and he began to preach that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. But there was a group of individuals in the 20th century, we gave nomenclature to this group, we called them Judaizers, and they began to teach that that grace that Paul's teaching, ah, well, That'll get you like up to the second rung on the ladder leading to the stairway to heaven. But if you want to get through those pearly gates, it's going to take more than grace. You got to do your part. You have to have a kosher kitchen, a kosher life. You have to teach and believe and practice those 613 Levitical laws. You got to earn it. These are the same people that Paul talked about in Philippians that we've been looking at for the last five months. And you remember what Paul says about our good works? In Philippians 3.8, he calls them scubalon. Not very kind of him. He says, my good works are, are like a shovel of dung compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. The perfection of Christ. I don't get to compare myself to Greg or Greg to me. We have to compare our perfection or lack of to Jesus who is truly perfect our perfection then is like dung. Or Isaiah says, it's filthy rags. That's hardly perfection at all. And so these Judaizers are preaching a false gospel. You remember in chapter 1, 8 and 9 of Galatians, Paul says, this false gospel and those who preach it, the result is that they ought to be accursed. They ought to be damned. Whoa, decaf, bro. But, but no. No, what, what Paul understands is this. Even if it's politically correct to offer a different gospel, even if it's less offensive to offer another gospel, that other gospel will not save. And it will lead people to a crisis, eternity, and hell. That's not loving. That's not freedom. Freedom is knowing Christ. Freedom is living for Christ. Amen. Nine months to preach through Galatians? Uh, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> okay. that's short. Yeah, very Should good. be uh, 12 or 14. There we go. Well, freedom, that's the theme for today because that's the theme of our passage. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's our condition as believers. It's our calling. The, we picked up, we started in verse 13, you were called to freedom. Now, I know America is, is called the land of the free. Sadly, not everyone who lives in our country knows this freedom that God offers through Christ. Well, what is that? What is Christian freedom? We're free. Well, we're free from quite a few things. As believers, we're free from the guilt of sin. We believers have experienced God's forgiveness. We're free from the penalty of sin, right? That's what Christ died for, to pay that penalty. We're free from the shame of sin, the power of sin, 
the, the power of the law to, to accuse us. Here's what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He says, the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But the Galatians, like some Christians today, had gone to two extremes. Some tried to become righteous and be free by keeping the law through legalism. The Judaizers who had their list of do's and don'ts. On the other hand, there were some that felt, well, yeah, we're, we're free. We agree with you, Paul. We Christians are free. They believed in libertarianism or antinomianism. Whoa, decaf, bro. This congregation is used to one-syllable words. So, Doc, can you break it down for us? All right. Very good. Antinomianism. Two Greek words. Anti, right? We, we know that word. Against. And namos, the law. They were against the law. We're accepted and forgiven by God, so we can just do whatever we want, and, and God doesn't really care. Well, I can see... <laughs> By your expressions, uh, you're not comfortable with that either. Neither is God. Paul shot that down in another epistle in Romans, Romans 6, 1 and 2. He asks the question and answers it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? God explains this is not freedom. Back to our verse, you're called to freedom, yes, but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, not flesh and bones, physical stuff, but our sinful inclinations, our old self, our sinful self, right? You, you know that. The flesh pulls you towards sin, towards anger and lust and depravity and violence and cheating. Well, the list goes on and on. Name any sin you can think of. We're not free to just disobey God, be self-centered and don't care about people. We're not free to abuse, use or abuse illegal drugs or visit porn sites or hook up sexually with a friend. We're not free to lose our temper or cheat on our taxes. That's, that's not the freedom we're talking about. We're not free to call evil good and good evil. Biblical freedom is never freedom to sin. It's the freedom from sin. It's the power to overcome sin. So how do we demonstrate our freedom? <coughs> Let's finish the verse. It says, through love, serve one another. Now that sounds like a contradiction, <laughs> Freedom and servanthood, but that's exactly it. God has freed us up to serve one another, not to take advantage of each other. So let's get practical. In what ways can we serve one another? Well, the list is probably endless. People have all kinds of needs, don't they? Physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. So we can serve one another through love by Cooking a meal when someone is sick or fixing their car when it's broken. We can lend a, a listening ear when somebody needs to talk. 
and needs a, a, a good friend and, and counsel. We can serve one another spiritually by praying for one another. And many here this morning have used their freedom to lovingly serve us. Thank you. You're welcome. But <laughs> Verse 14. It says this. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Frankly, I like my neighbors. I love my neighbors. I got a sheriff on one side married to his wife. And on the other side, I have my son-in-law and daughter and my grandbaby. Loving my neighbor is a pretty easy thing for me to do. Good. But that's not what the text is about. <laughs> you remember in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the neighbor is someone who may not at all be like us. Here we have a Samaritan who has been trained from his infancy to hate Jews and a Jew who's been trained from his infancy to hate Samaritans. They don't share the same Bible. They don't share the same worship. They don't share the same values or mores. They have been trained to hate one another, and that's the neighbor. The neighbor may be somebody who has a different skin pigment than me or from a different nationality than me, or God forbid, a neighbor may be somebody who is not politically aligned with my enlightened thoughts. That person is my neighbor. My neighbor is anyone who is made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and that would be seven billion people on the face of the earth. As a child, I learned to sing, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I have no idea if that's politically correct or not. That's not my point, and I don't mean to offend, but the point of the song and the point of the text is that my neighbor does not have to think like me, look like me, act like me, share my values or my mores, but because each are made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, they are my neighbor, and the text says that freedom is loving my neighbor. Freedom is first, preeminently loving God, and second, it is loving my neighbor. And the word used is a form of agape, with five different Greek words to choose from. Agape is a word that is hardly attainable. It's always in front of me. I'm always striving for it. It has an emotional side, but more than that, it has a commitment side. I am committed as a Christ follower to experience freedom by loving God and by loving and serving my neighbor. Freedom, right? We're called to freedom, verse 13. We're commanded of how to use that freedom in verse 14, to, to love one another. Our last verse, verse 15, is more of a caution. How do you know if you're not loving? If you're not obeying the command that just came right before it. It says this. If you bite and devour one another. Wow, that's graphic. Christians acting like wild animals. Uh, Christian cannibals. Just as Paul warned us in verse 13 about when you twist God's grace, I think this verse talks more about when God's grace is just even, not even there, it's absent. You can't give 
to others what you don't have. So if your life is not about receiving God's grace, you're not going to give it. Well, what does that look like? What are we talking about? We're talking about things like unforgiveness, gossip, envy, hatred, anger. You skipped malice. I can read. Malice. Thank you. God warns us about the use of, the free, of our freedom there because there's a real danger here. It says this, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. According to zookeepers, two reptiles like snakes will sometimes grab the different ends of the same piece of food. And sooner or later, their struggle for the last bite brings them nose to nose. Well, what happens? The snake with the wider mouth just keeps eating and swallows the other. God says, believers, don't do that. Now, why not? Well, a church that's not filled with love and service will, will consume and destroy one another. It, it can put an end to Christian peace. It, it hinders the work of God. It, it causes the church to, to turn inward. It, it, new believers are forced outward. It, uh, and it stirs up all sorts of sinful inclinations with everybody. It injures the testimony of the church. It sends a message to the world, God loves you, but eh, we hate each other. And I would guess that that kind of hate probably keeps us from sharing the gospel more than anything else. And even if we shade it, even if we share the gospel, who's going to listen uh -huh. when we show that kind of hate? Hating one another is not at all what God intends. As I thought about this, I thought about a man of yesteryear. He was driving through rural Arkansas. The tank was getting low. He pulled into a service station. It was a Sunday morning. It was 10.50. And in those days, churches usually began at 11. He was in a small town, population 465. And he heard all these bells and chimes from the various churches. And he looked out and he counted 17 steeples. The town had 465 people. There were 17 steeples, and he was so impressed. After filling up, he paid the attendant. He said, wow, this town, 17 steeples, 465 people. They sure love God. And the attendant said, well, I don't know if they love God or not, but they sure hate one another. That's not freedom. That doesn't draw others into freedom. That repels and pushes people away from the freedom that comes in Christ. The text is really clear. Freedom preeminently comes when you, I, we accept Jesus Christ by faith as our Savior. Don't leave today without knowing Christ. Believing in Christ for freedom from sin and the bondage of the law. Believe in Christ. And as you and I celebrate the freedom in Christ, the second freedom is to love one another. Love God, love each other. And that love and that walk with God, that freedom in Christ, resembles a rather narrow road between two extremes. We've already talked about these. One called legalism, the other license. 
The stream of legalism is clear, and sparkling, and pure, but its waters run so deep and furiously that no one can enter it without being drowned or smashed upon the rocks of its harsh demands. The other stream over here, license, is, uh, is relatively quiet and still, and crossing it seems easy and attractive, but its waters are contaminated with pollutants and poisons. And if you try and cross that, it's also certain death. Both streams are uncrossable and deadly. Legalism with its impossible and harsh moral demands, license with its moral and spiritual filth. Neither is freedom. Legalism is bondage to the law. License, bondage to the flesh. Only the gospel, our faith in Christ, is the path of freedom. We walk with God. We're empowered by his spirit to, to love God, to, to love others. To, to not tumble into either side, into the chains of legalism or the, the filth of license. We walk in victory over sin. There's freedom. There's abundant life. We live like God intended us to do. That's true freedom. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Lord, there's no greater feeling of liberty than to experience the freedom from sin and death that you've provided through Jesus. And today our hearts and souls are free to praise you and serve you and live like you would have us. We're very thankful for this. Help our lives, to, well, that we would live in a way that glorifies you, Lord. Give us the strength to be a blessing in someone's life today. Grant us the opportunity to lead others into the freedom that can be found only in knowing Jesus. We pray all this in the liberating name of Jesus Christ. Amen.